0: folder. I've been uh, researching the human body this week in preparation for the sermon today. So if I asked you right now, what are you doing? You probably say nothing. I'm sitting here watching you or listening to you preach. But actually, you are not doing nothing. Did you know that? Right now, in this moment, your heart is hard at work beating 60 to 70 times per minute, pumping blood through 60,000 miles of blood vessels. By the end of the day, when you pillow your head, uh, your heart will have beat, hopefully, about 93,000 times, 655,000 times a week, 34 million times a year, 2.4 billion beats in the average lifetime. Wow. <laughs> a lot of things I can say about that. But how fast the blood flows through you is regulated by a very complex hormonal feedback system that tells the heart the exact rate that it needs to supply the exact right amount of blood flow to every part of your body, and it does its job whether you're out running a a marathon and your heart's beating fast or sitting at home watching television. You probably know that your blood, your oxygenated, life-giving blood, contains billions of red blood cells, but did you know that your body produces 10 million new red blood cells every hour? while an equal amount of them is being destroyed. A mere 1% variation in that rate would result in bad things happening to you, like death. So the fine-tuned regulation system must remain nearly perfect throughout your life. There's very little margin for error. Speaking of cells, your body contains 30 to 100 trillion cells. Each of them is a little mini chemical factory performing 10,000 different functions, and while each of those cells does function on its own independently, they also cooperate with millions of other cells to do their work. One scientist said the body's trillions of parts all work together as a team. Your brain is working right now, hopefully, (laughs) sorting through and storing information at a mind-boggling rate, sending out millions of impulses and signals to all parts of your body. I read that a single brain cell has the capacity to hold five times as much information as the entire Encyclopedia Britannica. Kind of a shame we're not tapping into that (laughs) capacity a little bit more, I would say. The brain is consistently sending messages through a very complex system of interconnected nerve pathways traveled by 16 billion neurons racing up to 170 miles an hour to deliver their messages, to deliver the mail to its destination, and they even have Sunday service. This brain, this command center located in your cranium, controls millions of functions in your body, including your own personal cooling system. The brain regulates body temperature by... In part, by monitoring the amount of liquid secreted from the body's two million sweat glands, 500,000 of which are in your feet and can produce more than a pint of sweat a day, which is why you need to store your stinky gym shoes out in the garage or on the back porch and not in the house. Your liver is also hard at work, toiling away even as we speak, performing over 500 different functions, making it one of the most hard-working organs in your body. Hopefully, your kidneys are also working. They each contain a million little individual filters. Together, work to cleanse 1.3 liters of blood every minute. So you'll have cleaner blood by the time we're done here this morning. Think about your eyes. They are a true marvel, aren't they? Your eyes can receive 1.5 million simultaneous visual images. It's amazing. They come with an autofocus feature Everything you look at, your eyes automatically focus, and that's because there's a hundred thousand, excuse me, the muscles around your eyes flex a hundred thousand times every day. No wonder by the end of the day you want to close your eyes, right? And rest. And I could go on and on and on. What a marvelous, brilliant work of engineering and craftsmanship the human body is. Now, Christians. This is not biology or anatomy class, okay? There's, there's a sermon coming here. But Christians believe that it was God who created the first body, the infinitely innovative God of the universe who made Adam's body, and that that same God is still intimately involved in forming every human body that is conceived. The Bible says, you knit me together in my mother's womb. You knit me together in my mother's womb. That's why we have a high value of human life. It's a biblical ethic. But know this, when we read the Bible, we find that the amazing human body not only has innate value in and of itself, but it is also an image of something else, a picture of something that is yet greater. We discover that there's actually another body that God is creating. Like the human body, this body also has many members. And like the human body, this body can also be healthy and functioning well or diseased and dysfunctional. I'm talking, as you imagine, about the body of Christ. The body of Christ. Today we're uh, continuing our series that's titled, You Are the Church. And it occurs to me that some of you might be accustomed to thinking of the church as a building, place where people go to worship, and our language Indicates that, right? Did you go to church? I came to church today, we say. But you know what? Technically, the church is not a building. Technically, the church in God's mind is a living organism, a body. Paul wrote this in Romans 12. For as in one body we have many members, talking about our human bodies, the members do not all have the same function, so we... Though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Today I want to talk about the church as a body. A complex, interconnected, exquisitely designed living organism. And then I want to talk about your place in the body and my place in the body. You should know that theologians call this the study of ecclesiology. Say that with me. Ecclesiology, it comes from the Greek word ekklesia, the Greek word for the church, means assembly or gathering. If you know me, you know that I'm gonna tell you that your ecclesiology matters, maybe more than you realize. What you believe in your brain about the church and about your relationship to the church will affect all the decisions you make about church, how you go about finding one and choosing one, how involved you'll get, whether or not to become a member How you might respond when people are critical of it, to what extent you'll support it by giving and serving, under what circumstances you might choose to leave it. All of those decisions flow from your ecclesiology, what you believe about the church, so it matters. Any study of biblical ecclesiology must take into account Paul's teaching found in 1 Corinthians 12. That's where we're going to be this morning. You might want to go there in your Bible or on your device. 1 Corinthians 12 is where we find the most detailed biblical explanation of the church as the body of Christ. Paul lays out some principles in this chapter of life in the church, body life, that should shape our our beliefs about the church and should shape and form our practice. So we're going to work on our ecclesiology together today, okay? And I hope this will help you. If I can get through them, I've got eight, eight principles of body life in the church, all right? So the first one is unity, unity. Though the church has many members, it was designed to function as one body, one living organism. Unity in the church, how many of you know this, is a big deal to God. Verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 12 Paul wrote this, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. You know, during our welcome time here, uh, you, you would not go up to someone and look, that, look at them and say, hey, how's it going today, you big bag of bones, organs, muscles, and tissue? No, you would say, how's it going, Joe or Mary? You would know that Joe or Mary are composed of all of those things, but you view that as a, that person as an individual, as a unit, right? One body. In God's mind, the church that he is creating is like that. One body formed from many members. Here at New Life, we have 873 individual members of this church. We, that's one thing we count around here, is how many ministry partners... We have, it's on the back of your worship folder every week. 873 individuals, but in God's mind, we form one body. One body. We're to think of ourselves that way as a single unit, not just as a collection of a bunch of individuals. Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead to create one body. When Jesus was agonizing in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed that his followers would be one course we are individuals but we're being formed and fitted together into one body and we partake of communion like we'll do a little bit later on this morning that pictures that oneness that unity around christ doesn't it so let's repeat the first principle together it is Unity. unity though the church has many members it was designed to function as one living organism number two second principle of body life in the church is diversity diversity so unity and diversity And they're not opposites. Diversity means that the individual members of that one body come from varied backgrounds and possess differing functions. Again, let's look at Paul, verse 13. For in one spirit, he wrote, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free. We were all made to drink of one spirit, for the body does not consist of one member, but many. So in God's design, there is one body of Christ, but it's composed of many different members, and we're not all the same. Thank God. Thank God for that. There is diversity. Here, Paul writing to that particular body in Corinth, he said there's, there's Jews and there's Greeks there, there's uh, free people, there's slaves there, yet all brought together as one in Christ. So God, he's saying, is a specialist at creating unity out of diversity. When I think about um, all the different kinds of people who make up this body, the body of believers who is New Life Church, I'm amazed that there is any unity at all, really. Think about the diversity. Right here in this room today, we have a a mix of different temperaments, different skill sets, different gift mixes, different passions, different callings. We're composed of people from different generations. Genders, skin colors, ethnic backgrounds, income levels, preferences, music preferences. We have in this room right now Browns fans and Steelers fans, and they somehow managed to get along. We have Democrats and Republicans. We have Cameron Mitchell patrons and the Waffle House crowd right here in this room (laughs) this very day. We have those who love to watch Jane Austen movies, and we have UFC musclehead types here today in this room. Nordstrom shoppers, and the Walmart folks. When you think about it from a purely human perspective, it's really a miracle that there's any shred of unity among the believers in this church, given all of the differences. Only the Spirit of the living God baptizing all of us into the body of Christ can bring unity out of that kind of diversity. Despite all of our differences, the thing we most share in common is what draws us together, right? The Lord Jesus Christ His love for us, our love for Him, and for this body of believers He's put us in. And this chapter, what Paul's primarily talking about, and what he's honing in on as far as differences, are the differences in our various giftings and functions in the body of Christ. As members of Christ's body, we've each been designed to fulfill a, a specific function, much like your eye or your liver or your hand has a unique role in the functioning of your human body. Paul is saying God has equipped each of you for a specific function within this body, a role that's unique to you and different from that of everyone else. So, the second principle of life in the body of Christ is diversity, and we must come to appreciate that. We believe in unity, yes, but not uniformity. We're not fans of cookie-cutter Christians here. We're not all the same, that's okay, but God intends to take our differences and through Christ, blend them together into one united body that will express His life to each other and to the world, right? Du- ooh, I got a double amen. <laughs> That's a double dog. <laughs> All right. Paul knows what he's talking about. Unity is the first principle, diversity is the second one. Third one is value. Value. We know what this means. It means that every single member is important. And what each contributes to the overall health of the body is vital. Now, Paul uses some humor to get this point across here. Verse 15 If the foot should say, so now we've got talking feet. I'm trying to think, what voice could I use to communicate a foot? I have no idea. If the foot should say. Because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. What's he saying? He's saying that everyone's important. Every single member is important. Every member has something to offer the body, something that the body needs. There are no throwaway parts. You've heard it said, God doesn't make any junk. We each have value, and each of our functions is necessary in order for the body to remain healthy. So we have right here in this body of believers some who serve as the hands of the body. The the doers, the worker bees, the folks who love to do the physical, hands-on work of ministry. Setting things up, tearing things down, cleaning up, building things, fixing things, making meals. The hands of the body. How many of you see yourself, raise your hand if you see yourself as like, yeah, I think I'm a hand in the body of Christ, okay. (laughs) <laughs> and then there are those who serve as the feet, the feet of the body, always on the go, active, fidgety, restless, even right now probably. What are we doing just sitting around here? Let's go do something for Jesus. These are the feet of the body. They want to make us go and take us places we've never been. How many of you see yourself that way? I'm, don't stick your foot in the air. Stick your hand in the air. But Okay. The feet, the hands, the feet. We have people who serve as the eyes of the body. They see, they, they see out farther than the rest of us. They, their peripheral vision is wider, they see more. They notice people that the rest of us overlook, look past, and they're saying, hey, Jesus wants us to minister to these folks too. Any of you like, see, I'm, I'm one of the eyes of the body. Okay? Some precious folks are the ears of the body, especially attuned to the Spirit of God, listening to the voice of the shepherd. I suppose some are the kidneys of the body constantly filtering out impurities in our teaching and lifestyle so that we remain uncontaminated by the world. These are irritating folks, but so necessary (laughs) to the body of Christ, to our health. All of these functions are vitally important for the healthy functioning of the body as a whole. And there's more. There's the heart, the lungs, the liver, all of the limbs and muscles. Some of them are more visible. Some of them are Internal and invisible, but all of them are valuable. All of them. So maybe you thought in your life, you know, well, I, you know, I just don't have that much to really offer. I feel like maybe I'm just more like the big toe, you know? <laughs> you know what? You know what? Without your big toe, your equilibrium will be off, your balance will be off. Every single member of the body is important. Everyone. You know, in some churches, there's certain gifted people who get an inordinate amount of honor and respect out of proportion to their actual value to the body. And sometimes other people get envious of those folks. Well, why are they so special? How come everybody's looking, looking to them and taking their cues from them? Why couldn't God have given me some of that? No one seems to notice what I do. Maybe, maybe I'm not really that needed around here. In this letter that Paul's writing, he, he wants to correct Those attitudes, really abuses of spiritual gifts, you could call them gift envy and gift inferiority. Gift envy and gift inferiority. Really, those attitudes are toxic to the body of Christ. It would be like your pancreas complaining that since no one's seeing what it's doing, it's just going to shut down for a season and take a hiatus. Or your big toe getting mad because it's not getting the daily attention that you give your face and your hair every morning, you know? It's ridiculous, right? All of us need to understand and believe what the Bible says here. God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? I got this funny picture in my mind of a church that's just a big mouth, you know? Jaws flapping going around making a lot of noise, but that's not a body, that's just a mouth. <laughs> every single member, every single function is important. So I want to look you in the eye this morning and say, you have value in this body. What you're good at, what you're gifted to do matters here. So let's review the first three principles. Number one, unity. Number two, diversity. Number three, Number four, interdependence, interdependence. Of course, by that we mean that each member needs all the other members. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. I was reading in one journal this week about the human body, a scientist who wrote this. Each one of our body systems are interconnected and dependent on each other. Our heart, which is part of our circulatory system, does not beat unless our brain, which is part of our nervous system, tells it to. Our skeletal system is dependent upon our digestive system for for increase in size and strength. Our muscular system needs our respiratory and circulatory systems to supply energy in the form of oxygen and nutrients. It takes all of the systems working together for human growth and development. You see, not only is each member necessary for the overall health of the whole body, but each member needs every other member. We are interdependent. Like in the human body, when one organ... Malfunctions or when one system shuts down, another one has to step in and compensate, right? But then that takes its toll on what that thing was supposed to be doing and carrying out. We're interconnected, interdependent. There's analogy there with the body of Christ. We are a body. We affect one another. Our choices to serve or not serve really do impact not only the health of the whole body, but each other. It's interesting to me the particular parts of the body that Paul mentions in this section. He says the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. That's often how it happens. People who are the eyes, people with vision gifts, start to feel superior to the hands who are doing the hard work of serving. People who are in the roles of headship, leadership, start looking down their noses at the feet. You know, It's like, who needs you? So here's another abuse that Paul wants to correct. Call it gift snobbery. He basically says, if if you eyes of the church, you visionary leader types, don't think you need the workers on the ground, the hands and the feet, you are sadly mistaken. Who's going to carry out all of that wonderful vision that you have up there? Who's going to make it happen? Who's going to do the footwork and the legwork to, to bring it to be? We all need each other. There is to be no gift snobbery in the body. More on that in this next principle, number five, which is the principle of equal honor. This is how it's to be in the church, the body of Christ. No member is inferior or superior to any other member regardless of their relative visibility, how much they're seen. Verse 22, on the contrary, Paul wrote, The parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. See, what's he talking about? Well, Paul's basically saying, look, think about your own body for a minute. You have a variety of limbs and muscles and organs and such. Some are visible, some are internal, some are invisible. Do you regard your internal organs as having less value than your visible parts, yes or no? No, of course not. In fact, in one sense, some of your internal organs, your heart or your lungs, for example, are more vital to your body's health and life and growth than many visible parts. You can live without a hand. I don't think you can live without your lungs, can you? Not well, for sure. I believe God did that. I believe God designed our bodies this way in part to illustrate the folly of valuing the visible members too highly. In a body that's healthy, equal honor, equal honor is given to all the members, whether they're up here on the platform or working behind the scenes. And that gets shown and fleshed out in how the members care for each other, how they feel about each other. Paul describes this in verse 25, that there be, may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. I got something in my eye uh, a while back, a little particle in my eye that wouldn't I couldn't, flush it out. I couldn't get it out. You know what? I was miserable. My whole body was affected. I didn't want to do anything, go anywhere. It was just irritating. We, We know how this works, right? What a picture Paul is drawing here. Every member having equal concern for each other, no one feeling superior, no one feeling inferior. Everyone honored and valued equally, everyone sharing in each other's joys, and struggles everyone connected no division we call this a brother's keeper kind of a church it can be a beautiful thing principle number six is the principle of headship headship the body has a head you know who it is it's jesus christ just be clear on this i'm not the head of this church Jesus is the head. There's a team of elders, seven men who govern and oversee this church. I serve under under that group. The head is Jesus. Paul hints at it here in 1 Corinthians 12, but he outright states it in Ephesians 4.15. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Colossians 1, he is the head of the body, the church. Everything flows from the head to the body. Just like in your body. Vision, ideas, direction, guidance, energy, power, strength, nourishment, life itself flows from the head to the body. Just as your brain is directing all the activities of your body, even right now, so the head of the church, Jesus, is actively directing the affairs of his body. The question is, are you connected to the head? I mean, are you vitally connected to the head? That's where unity comes from. Everybody's Listening to the same voice, synced up with the same per- person, excuse me. Every member of the body draws life, nourishment, and direction from the head. Now someone might say, Well, why does Jesus get to be the head? I want to be the head of the church. <laughs> say, okay, well, when you've lived a sinless life, allow yourself to be crucified for the sins of the world and shed your blood and then rise to the grave, maybe you can get in line for that, but it's not likely. There's only one qualified to be the CEO, the head, the owner of the body of Christ, the only one with the right to hand out all the gifts and assignments and functions in his body, and it's Jesus. He's the head. That brings us to principle seven, which is the principle of sovereignty. That God has gifted each member as he sees fit. It's his work to distribute the gifts and the the functions and the assignments in his body, and no one possesses all the gifts. Paul wrote, God has appointed in the church, let me say it differently, different emphasis, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? What's the answer? It's a rhetorical question, right? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? No, 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 no. Paul says, look, God is the one. God is the one who appoints people for the different roles in the church. God's the one who sovereignly bestows his gifts upon his people. Who got what gifts is God's business, not really ours. And know that God did not give everyone the same gifts, and no one has all the gifts. They're distributed. And we who are in the body simply need to trust the sovereignty of God in this area as well as other areas that we've talked about. God is all-wise. God is all-knowing. God knows what he wants his body in Columbus and Gehenna to be like. We need to learn to trust his sovereignty. The final principle is overarching. It's the one that he uh, expands on in the next chapter, which happens to be 1 Corinthians 13, which you may know is the great love chapter of the Bible. And that's the final principle, is the principle of love. But earnestly desire, he wrote, the higher gifts, which I take to mean the ones that that bless the most people in the body. And I will show you a still more excellent way. And what is the more excellent way? Well, it's the way of love, right? It's the way of love. Members of the body are called to seek the highest good of the entire church rather than elevating themselves. Rather than constantly clamoring for the spotlight, why don't more people notice me? (laughs) Why don't more people want me on their team? Why am I being overlooked? Instead of that, God's call to the members of the church is to always seek the things that will contribute to the health and the growth of the whole body of Christ, not just what seems good to me. That's the way of love. That's the more excellent way. All right, let's review these principles of life in the body of Christ together. Let's say them out loud. Unity, diversity, value, interdependence, equal honor, headship, sovereignty, and love. So now you're ready to teach this, right? Go out and teach it. Man, when we have an appreciation for these and live these out, I'm telling you, the body of Christ here will become a stunningly beautiful body. All right, well, what's in here for us today? That was kind of a Bible study lesson. What's, what's for here for the body of new life? And there's, we could draw a number of applications, but, but one primary one jumps out at me. Does it jump out at you? Let's each of us recommit ourselves to fulfilling our role in the body. I mean, that's the point of it, right? The body's one body, has many members. We all have a different function, different gifts. If your liver's not functioning, that's not a good day. Health comes from all of the organs and limbs and all of the systems functioning and working together for the health of the body. So let's each and every one of us recommit ourselves to fulfilling our role. Now... I've been here for a long time. What I've observed through the years is that some of us have gotten a little careless and a little apathetic about this, and the result is the body without a functioning pancreas or liver or hand. As we saw the health of the whole body is, gets downgraded when, when a member decides to sit out, to opt out. So I made a list of statements that I've heard over the years from members who were trying to explain to me why they weren't serving in the body anywhere. I'm too busy with my kids. My focus is on other things right now, Pastor Steve. How about this one? I've served my time. I did my duty. It's time for the younger generation now to step up. I don't i don't really have much to offer in a church our size there's got to be someone else more qualified than me to do that i tried that once back in 1994 and it didn't go well i failed so i'm i'm out it's a bad experience i'm out the church doesn't really have anything that i'm interested in i'm just not willing to give the time Well, I wish I had the time to tell all of you about all of the single moms who serve so faithfully here in this church. I am constantly humbled by seeing some of the most stretched thin people I know also be the most eager and willing to give themselves to serve the body of Christ. So humbling. I'm so encouraged by teens in our church who are realizing that life doesn't just revolve around me and they're offering themselves to serve the larger body here. I'm constantly inspired by the seniors in our church who have decided that their fourth quarter of life is going to be their most fruitful quarter for Christ. I say, may their tribe increase. I mean, maybe they're not able to run laps around the rest of us like they used to, but they know that Christ did not save them so they could sit around in their later years and watch everybody else do stuff. I love seeing many of our young adults in catalysts engage not only with catalysts, but also with the larger body by serving on our tech teams like they do and in our Awana clubs and in children's ministries. What I'm saying is this. Whether you're 16 or 60 or 80, whether you're married or single or divorced, whether you have kids or no children, there is still a place for you somewhere in this body of believers. You have value here. There's still more joy to be had in serving other people in your life. The Lord wants that for you. I was talking with Pastor Brian the other day about this, and he said, "He said, you know, my parents are in their 70s, and they are still a part of the care and visitation team in their church down in Kentucky. He said every week they get in their car and drive to the hospital and visit different people. Sometimes they get to actually lead people to Christ in their hospital bed as well as praying with them and for them. That's pretty cool, isn't it? When I think about the potential for gospel impact in our city, if every single member of New Life was active and functioning and serving with joy, it staggers my mind. And when I think about how healthy it is for you to not only come and receive on the weekends, but also be giving out like a sponge, when I think about how healthy that is for people, I want that for all of you. When someone becomes a member here of this church, and we call that ministry partnership, precisely because of what we've talked about today, they agree to serve regularly in a ministry in this body. Now, I know that's a pretty high bar compared to some other churches where you can just come down front and say, I want to be a member, and they say you're in. But we feel like the picture of the church as a body demands more than that. So one of the ways we try and facilitate a good fit for the new ministry partners here is through the use of something that should look familiar to some of you, the Ministry Interest Inventory. We made it green today, so pull the little green form out of your worship folder if you would. Take a look at it, and today I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to take a risk today, and I am going to ask each and every one of you, who are ministry partners of new life, to renew your commitment to serving the precious people who make up the body of Christ right here. And to do that through a church-sponsored ministry here. I know many of you have personal ministries out in the community. That's wonderful. What I'm talking about now is, is what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 12. Serving that blesses this body of which you're a member. So I'm going to ask you to take a moment, all of you, and put your information, your contact information there on the top. And then notice down below the dozens and dozens of areas where ministry partners can serve here and some areas where pre-ministry partners can serve here, people who are on the way towards that. Now, some of you are here you're saying, I'm a ministry partner in your life and I'm already serving somewhere. Awesome. What I would like you to do is find what ministry that is that you're currently serving in and just put a circle around the ministry area, would you? That circle will let us know, I'm I'm serving, I'm blessed to serve, it's a good fit for me. I'm already serving, Steve. Okay. If you're a ministry partner here and you're not currently serving in a regular ongoing ministry in this church, maybe you used to years ago, you're not right now, I am asking you to reconsider that choice. Your church needs you. Your fellow members need you. And I'm asking you as, as your pastor to say yes to the head of the church and offer yourself again to serve his body by putting an X next to two or three or four areas where you believe the Lord could use you. Maybe it's an area you've served before or a place you have an interest in, you'd like to know more. Now, by putting an X there, you're not signing up. It's not like, okay, you're starting tonight, you know. Um, What I'm going to do is ask one of our ministry leadership team members to contact you via whatever you give us here, email or phone, and talk with you and just explore the possibilities with you. What could this look like? What what are the steps to get there? Who knows how the Lord might want to use you again in his work? Maybe you're here this morning and you're not you're not a ministry partner here, but you're you're, you're energized about this and, and you, you, you say, I got something to offer. I can serve. I'm, I want you to use a check mark, okay? So we've used a circle, an X, and now a check mark. And go ahead and put a check mark next to an area or two or three where you feel like, I, I got an interest in that. And then down in the lower right is a box. And I'm gonna ask you to check that box as well because it says, I'm not yet a New Life ministry partner, but I believe the Lord is leading me to join the New Life team. And we'll... Get back with you about the steps that you need to take to become a full-fledged card-carrying ministry partner of New Life Church. You know, I look down through this. There's, there's lots. I haven't counted them all. Maybe fifty or so areas. You see, children's ministry and student ministries investing in that next generation. For nurse in our nursery ministry here, and we have lots of babies. <laughs> babies are coming. Um, our our nursery servants work once a month on a Sunday morning in a service see where it says life care there's a team it says hospital home visitation team and we're kind of renewing that area looking for some people with mercy gifts who love doing that sort of thing maybe you want to check that there's lots of great areas just offer yourself to the Lord again each and every one of us shares in the responsibility for the health of this body of believers, and that's a high calling. And I pray that every single ministry partner of New Life Church will take this seriously. And I think if, if we do, the world will take notice, and Jesus Christ will be honored. Lord Jesus, uh, I direct this prayer to you this morning as the head of this church. First off, I thank you so much for laying down your life for us, for allowing your body to be crushed, for pouring out your blood, that one day we might have the opportunity to put our faith in you and be saved and be born again and be brought into this body of believers. Thank you. We want to honor you in just a moment by partaking of the elements of your table, remembering all that you've done for us. Lord, in addition, I want to ask that you would reclaim some folks today, some ministry partners here who maybe months or years ago kind of opted out of serving your body. And I pray that you'd reach out and reclaim them, Lord, and help them to realize there's there's still more. You still have an assignment for them. There's more to do. There's more joy to be had. There's more people to be loved on. So that this body that you are putting together here would be healthy and alive and vibrant and functioning and growing i pray you'd do that because we are your body we are your hands and feet i thank you for that calling in christ's name amen